Catch all the NFL playoffs at Walters Sports Bar, located across the street from Nationals Park. Walters has over 30 TVs inside and out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Nats Chat, what is the first installment of Nats Chat in the year 2024. I would say Happy New Year, but we're long past the date that Larry David says is the final day on which you can say Happy New Year. So we'll just say that we hope that you are doing well, and it is nice to be with you, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Coming up on the show, not one, but two great guests, Nationals Vice President of Amateur Scouting, Danny Haas, and Nationals Senior Director of Amateur Scouting, Brad Sielek. They are the two most significant hires by the Nats and their revamping of their front office over these last few months. Danny and Brad know each other well. They work together with the Orioles. And Danny and Brad, very key to the Nats moving forward in terms of drafting and player development. So we very much look forward to that conversation. But uh, Mark, nice to see you. Are you enjoying, are you getting ample rest and relaxation in this Nats offseason? What, <laughs> at least so far, has to be the quietest Nats offseason since the franchise came to D.C. Because, boy, <laughs> there just <laughs> has not been much happening. I've had many opportunities to take a little afternoon nap, Al, this winter, because I have not been too worried about anything breaking. This is pretty remarkable. Outside of, I'd say, maybe the winter of the lockout, where you knew there was not any possibility of any news for several months, this has been the quietest, deadest winter that I can ever remember for this team. That's not over yet. I mean, there's still time to do stuff. And I suppose in, in some respects, you do look around the league. They're not the only team that's been quiet. There's a whole lot of free agents still out there. For whatever reason, the market's been really slow to develop. But man, they have not made, as we tape this, they have not made a move involving their 40-man roster since December 12th. So we're talking over a month now without a move. Now, again, I think they will do something. There are still a left fielder to get, a first baseman or DH to get. I think they're going to get at least one of those things. Maybe they still look to try to bolster the rotation. But man, oh man, it has been dead quiet here for, like I said, over a month now, which is pretty amazing. It is. And, you know, we've talked about this. I personally don't really have a problem with this. I know that some people do, but I think where the Nats are in the rebuild on the wind curve, this is actually the right way to play things. 
But, you know, you think about these recent off seasons with the rebuild. By this time last off season, you had Trevor Williams. By this time, two off seasons ago, you had Cesar Hernandez. Not that these were seismic moves, but these moves were something, <laughs> you know, like you could sink your teeth into something. And there really hasn't been anything along those lines. It really has been remarkable. But like you said, there are a good number of, you know, at least like mid-tier free agents still left. So there is activity that's going to happen. And the Nats almost have to do something moving forward here between now and spring training. I mean, there is a roster that needs to be put together. And I mean, unless we're just missing the boat on this, the roster is not set. Like there are things that need to be done. I agree. I, I keep waiting. I want to write an article about what might the lineup look like come opening day. I can't write it yet because there's at least one and maybe two holes that still have to be filled. I do believe they're going to get a left fielder, at least as part of a platoon, if not an everyday guy, preferably by what they've said, a left-handed power bat, I think is their number one priority still. So they need that. And we still don't know exactly how it's going to go as far as first base and DH is concerned. I think they're comfortable with Joey Manessis playing first base on a regular basis, but I think they still need some kind of left-handed complement to him, even if that person is primarily a DH. So I hesitate to even try to evaluate their offseason so far or say, well, here's what I think their lineup is going to look like because I don't think it's complete yet. And I want to give them the benefit of the doubt and say a month from now, as they're getting ready to gather in West Palm Beach, I do think it's going to look different. And I do think they're going to have a complete roster at that point. They're just not there yet. Yeah. And things in MLB off seasons do happen well into January, even February. I mean, I think everyone remembers the Max Scherzer signing happened. I remember during the NFL playoffs, I remember watching Seahawks Packers and the Max Scherzer news broke. So you never know. Something's you know bound to happen at some point. It's just a question of, uh, you know, at what level is this going to be here with the Nats and uh, to what extent are things going to be happening moving forward? Well, we do have a special announcement that we are very excited to make. So the Nats Chat Podcast family is expanding. As we talk about, and you know, I don't joke about when I say this, Tim Schobers is the mastermind of this podcast. And Tim is great at, you know, putting thought into what he wants the podcast to be, the vision for the show, how to grow the show. And the empire is expanding because there now is an Atlanta Braves version of the Nats Chat Podcast. The name of the podcast, 755 Forever. The podcast is hosted by longtime Braves insider David O'Brien and former Braves reliever Eric O'Flaherty. The first installment of the podcast is out. It is uh, a podcast that you can find on Twitter on X at 755 Forever Pod. And this is going to be a regular show about the Atlanta Braves episodes following each Braves series. You know, Mark, I don't know. Do we need to engage in like some hazing of David and Eric? I think we got to come up with something. I mean, we are the veterans. You know, we have to act like we're the veterans. So we'll have to figure something out. But the Braves, I mean, this is like the perfect time. If you're going to launch a Brave show, this is like <laughs> the exact right time to do that. I think Tim has a little more foresight in his timing of starting this one versus when we started our podcast, which was in 2021, just as everything was starting to crash down. Maybe if you're a Nats fan, you really care about this. Maybe the start of the Braves podcast will be the beginning of the end of the Braves run here of success, just as the Nats are getting better again. I suppose you want to look at it that way. Hopefully, though, they have the same success on the podcast as we've had here. I've known Dave O'Brien for a long time, covered the Braves since I think even before the Nationals existed, really good. He and Eric O'Flaherty have done a podcast together before. It's very clever, very funny, very insightful, and they have no shortage of stuff to discuss, such as the news that broke just before we started taping this. The Braves signed their GM, Alex Anthopoulos, 
to a new extension that keeps him under contract through the year 2031. Yes, 2031. And I couldn't help but think if ever there was anything that shows the disparity between how the Braves are currently operating and how the Nationals are currently operating, there it is. They just locked up their GM for another seven years. And we over here every two years are discussing, well, are they going to re-sign Mike Rizzo or not? Maybe he'll leave. Maybe they want to make a change. Well, all right. Hey, they got it done. How long is he here? Well, another two years. And then we do it all over again. So boy, it's a dramatic difference between the two. We understand if you're out there or Nats fans, you're probably not big Braves fans. You may not want to be all immersed in that podcast, but maybe you know some Braves fans out there want to share the news with them and get them into it because knowing the guys who are going to be behind the mic and certainly knowing the guy who's behind the whole operation and Tim, I have no doubt it's going to be a huge success. Yeah. And if you just like good baseball conversation, a podcast like that one can do you right. You know, with the Braves, I don't, you know, like the Braves. I don't root for the Braves, but I respect the heck out of the Braves and what they've built, the program that they have going. And I do think from a Nats perspective, there's a lot to be learned from the Braves. So you don't have to wave the Braves pom-poms, but I do think it's instructive to look at what they do, how they do what they do, and try to apply that to the Nats. And I got to tell you, you know, with so little happening with the Nats this offseason, you follow other teams, you think about other teams, this arms race in the National League between the Braves and the Dodgers, this is reminiscent of the Yankees and Red Sox 15, 20 years ago. And, you know, it's a little different because they're not in the same division. But, you know, these two teams have been the elites of the National League for a while. We all get it just because you do a lot in an offseason guarantees nothing come the regular season. But man, this is, you know, anything you can do, I can do better. It feels like this offseason between the Braves and the Dodgers. And it's really fascinating as an outside observer to see the two approaches to it, where the Dodgers are going to spend whatever it takes to get the biggest names they can possibly get. They've obviously had some success doing that. The Braves, a little more calculated, a little more trying to grow from within. And then what they've been so effective at is locking up their young guys before they ever get a chance to hit free agency. It's not just Antopolis. It's like half the roster is already under contract for years to come. Now, if it works out, it's amazing for them. If it doesn't, they could get stuck with some bad contracts along the way. So far, that hasn't happened to them. But you know, as much attention as the Dodgers get and as much around the country as they talk about the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Cubs, the Atlanta Braves to me are the model organization in baseball right now for the way they do it, the way they sustain it, the way they have built a true brand there and culture. And I, I know it's hard for Nats fans to hear this, but they do it the right way on the field and they are positioned to be really good for a long time. And I think that does tie in with the Nats because the thing, and we've talked about this before, the Nats run from 2012 to 2019. For the most part, especially in the years they won their division, there was not a whole lot of other competition within the division. They were head and shoulders better than everyone else. This time around, as they try to get back to that spot, that's not going to be the case. The Braves are going to be in the mix for many more years to come. The Phillies, we have every reason to believe, will be in the mix. The Marlins just made the playoffs last year. And the Mets, while having gone through a disaster of a season themselves, eventually are going to regroup. And eventually, Cohen is going to spend a ton of money to try to build them back up again. So it's going to be fascinating to see in the next couple of years, if the Nats do get back to where they want to be, the competition within the division, I think is going to be very different than it was the last time around. It has become maybe the best division in baseball. I mean, I think there's certainly a case to be made. Well, something that both the Dodgers and the Braves have done very well is draft. And the Nats are trying to get back to that. And two key pieces 
in that attempt to get to being a great team in terms of the draft are going to be joining us next. Danny Haas and Brad Sielek. We look forward to chatting with them. And uh, that conversation is straight ahead. Larry, Happy New Year. You're too late. Happy New Year. Come on, it's three weeks. Isn't it? Almost a month already. It's ridiculous. Ah, look, I have nothing to say to these people. Oh, man. How do you know it's a Happy New Year anyway? Hey guys, it's Al Galdi to tell you about Window Nation. Winter is still here. The air is still cold. Energy prices still quite high. Take advantage of the deal that Window Nation is extending to listeners of the Nats Chat Podcast. 0% interest for five years and 50% off all styles of windows. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Window Nation windows are the best and Window Nation windows will upgrade the feel and look of your home, all while lowering your energy costs. Window Nation is the best. Take advantage of the offer that Window Nation has right now. If only the Nats could get such an offer on free agents. 0% interest for five years and 50% off all styles of windows. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. 
With the number two pick in the 2023 MLB Draft, the Washington Nationals select Dylan Cruz, an outfielder from LSU. The Detroit Tigers had the next pick. Well, how an MLB team does when it comes to the MLB draft is, of course, so important, maybe more important than anything that is done by an MLB front office. And so we are thrilled to have on the Nats Chat podcast two big time hires and very important members of the Nats front office regarding the MLB draft and a lot more. Nationals Vice President of Amateur Scouting, Danny Haas, and National Senior Director of Amateur Scouting, Brad Sealek. The Nats hiring of each guy was officially announced this past October 25th. Danny Haas spent the last five seasons as a special assignment scout for the Arizona Diamondbacks, working at amateur and international amateur scouting. He worked for the Orioles in a variety of scouting roles December 2011 through the 2018 season. Brad Selek was the Orioles Director of Draft Operations November 2021 to October 2023. He had been with the O's in a variety of scouting capacities since January 2013, and that followed a previous stint with the O's in 2011. So Danny and Brad know each other well. It's great to have them on the show. Danny, about two and a half months now for you guys with the Nats. How are things going, and what has your experience been like so far? Things are great. Uh, it's been a pretty smooth transition for me coming over. We have our legs under us. Uh, we're good to go with uh, initial diving in on players. We're scheduled out for about pending weather, obviously, of course, the first couple, three weeks of the spring. Uh, just looking forward to getting going. Brad, for you, the decision to come here, you're in a pretty good situation in Baltimore, and you've seen from afar what they have built there. Why was this the move for you to make right now? And how much did Danny have to do with that? Yeah, Mark, obviously, Danny and I worked very closely together in Baltimore. He's been tremendous in terms of, you know, mentoring me throughout, you know, my career. And when the opportunity arose to come back and work with him, but also work, you know, under Mike Rizzo, who, you know, is not only a world-class evaluator, but a world-class human being. It was just an opportunity that I, I couldn't afford to pass up. I'm glad that I obviously uh, am here, and it's been a tremendous start thus far. And I'm really excited to get going here once uh, the season opens up on the amateur level in a few weeks. So obviously, baseball is like this ever-evolving organism, and you know the data and the information such a big deal now. I would imagine that the world of scouting has changed along with everything else over the last, say, 10 to 15 years. In the modern MLB, Danny, what would you say are the keys to a team being really good at scouting? Like what sort of stands out at you in terms of like the bullet points for a good organization when it comes to scouting? I feel like coming here, I've been really fortunate over my career to work with so many great people in different places. Coming here, trying to be aware of what strengths I have and how to balance up my weaknesses. And Brad, obviously, Reed Dunn, they were perfect fits. I just think taking in information constantly, filtering it, trying to be as organized as you can and just continue to get context on each player, each situation. It's been fun working with a lot of great people who have been a part of a lot of winning for a long time. This year, Eddie Longos, having him as a resource, having been in scouting for a long time and knowing he's going to be hand-in-hand with us in PD. Mark Shalaba is gracious enough to give us a few more uh, voices and uh, evaluators on the pro side early in the spring. A lot of great scouts. I've known Jeff Stone and Mark Bacher for a long time. Jimmy Gonzalez. It's been really fun so far. You just mentioned a bunch of names. You said a lot of experienced guys. You guys have your experience as well. What is that ultimately like when you have a lot of voices that now have to decide, okay, where are we going to go? What's our philosophy? How do we do this? How do you both inject 
your opinions and your thoughts and how you run this scouting operation and take other people's thoughts into consideration to ultimately come up with whatever the grand plan is. Initially, we looked at like geographical strengths, where guys are uh, located, and then seeing where the players are going to go. And we're getting the most bang for our buck in terms of out-of-area views at the area scout level, for instance. Uh, we gave our area scouts a heads up, hey, these guys are coming into your territory. Not only do we want and respect your opinion on the players in your own areas, we want to see what you think on impact players coming into your territories as well. And just that veteran presence has been a strength of this organization for a long time. Being fortunate to kind of know them and, and kind of their track records and how to best deploy them in the, the ways and areas that, that we can. Hey, Brad, you were part of the Orioles during this uh, meteoric rise in recent years, especially from a standpoint of the farm system and drafting guys and developing guys. What stands out to you in terms of how the Orioles got to be in this place and what from your experience with the O's do you think can be applied to what the Nats are doing right now? Yeah, absolutely. I think the thing that stands out is, you know, even going back to when I first came on board there, you know, working with Danny, uh, Madhouse, Dan Duquette was there was a process in place. There was a foundation as far as what they're looking to accomplish, checkpoints that had to be met, not only with each and every player they bring in, but also guys that are already in the system. And obviously that was taken uh, a step further with Michael Elias uh, when he came over and introduced, you know, the analytic uh, component into the evaluation process. But I think the one thing that really resonates with me, you know, when you take a look at, you know, the staff that's been assembled here under Danny, you know, Danny already mentioned Reed is that we've come from three different organizations that had a lot of success, not only drafting, but developing talent and getting to the big leagues quickly. And on the flip side, I kind of go back to Mark's question is as far as, you know, um, staying proactive versus reactive, getting feedback from all corners of the organization, our player development department is going to be instrumental in this process. And also the guys uh, in the front office on the analytics side, research and development, Lee, Michael, Shad, Silas have been instrumental in helping us get our feet under the ground here in our first few months together. Danny, you kind of have the, what we call the traditional background to get to where you are right now. Former player, decided to get into front office and became a scout and worked your way up to this point. And Brad, yours is a little bit different path, although becoming maybe a little more common nowadays, I think what you've done. But for people who don't know, I mean, you've got a bachelor's degree in business administration, a master's degree in computer information systems. Uh, you spent a year working as an analyst at Bloomberg Sports. And in addition to now having been working in baseball here for a while, I'm curious, I know you two have worked together and, and you've become close. How have those two different backgrounds worked together? And does it mesh? Or do you feel like there's times you're like, I don't understand what this guy's talking about, or this guy comes from a totally different place than I, I came from? Knock on wood, I can't really remember a time where we butted heads that much. I think it's I don't know if it's personalities. It's always been the how to make the best decision as quickly as possible kind of thing. And it's just, you mentioned those backgrounds. I mean, having learned like the Red Sox front office guys, Theo to an extent, Mike Hayes and Jason McLeod, Amiel Salde, Dan Duquette, our time in Baltimore, we didn't have a huge analytics staff, but we had Sarah Gellis, who since, you know, she's gone on to the Astros and now the Pirates um, as an AGM and Kevin Tannenbaum with the Guardians. A lot of great folks that introduce me to the analytics side and the importance of it pretty quickly. But I've always come to embrace that. And I feel like Brad's kind of the embodiment of all that. And I, I don't want to, you know, his background, um, a lot of times he's cast as a straight analyst, but he's, I've heard Mike say he's one of our better scouts just as an evaluator as well. So uh, he brings a lot to the table. It's a perfect fit here. Brad, your take of that, that it's when you come in with the background that you do, you probably have that little bit of 
preconceived notion of who they think you are. How important has it been for you to show that you are more than just a behind the scenes, you know, numbers guy and that you have an eye for talent? Yeah, I, I mean, I would probably echo the same sentiments that Danny just mentioned. I've been very fortunate to be exposed to a lot of bright people. And I think the real reason that, you know, Danny and I get along so well, and this is kind of something we've tried to implement in all of our stops, uh, or I should say my stops in coming up through the game and also my short time here is to be open and hear what everyone has to say. And, you know, we're not always going to agree on every single thing, but like Danny mentioned, we're able to kind of articulate our perspectives and work through differences, whether it's, you know, how we're structuring or strategizing the first few weeks of the D1 season or taking a deep dive on certain guys for the upcoming draft. And I think uh, that's pretty much the best way I could describe it. But to your point, I, I don't really see myself as labeled in one fashion or the other. I think that I'm very well-rounded. What I try to do is kind of be the bridge between, you know, our analytics staff and also our scouts in the field and take the both perspectives on both sides of things. And I think when you have a blend and a balance of opinions, as Danny mentioned, from, you know, different departments' perspectives, typically things work out in the grand scheme of things. Brad, can you explain how analytics are applied in amateur scouting? Because obviously, when you're scouting college guys and especially high school guys, you don't have stat cast data. You don't always necessarily have like reliable data, period. So like when people talk about analytics being applied to college and high school scouting, how exactly is that done? What would be some examples of that? Yeah, I think the big thing you can always talk about is a track record of a, at a player in the college ranks. How have they done the moment that they foot, set foot on campus? If we have a lengthy history of a guy in high school, have they improved? What have they gotten better at? And just kind of being mindful as far as what their track record looks like. The walk rates, the strikeout rates. Also, are they showing the ability to impact the baseball as far as their exit, uh, their battle ball data? And also take a look at their tendencies as far as their play discipline, zone contact rates. All that factors into the discussion. I think what makes this truly unique is guys are constantly changing. They're still trying to figure out themselves, their identity as baseball players, what type of hitter they're going to be, what their approach to the plate. And more or less, the only way that you're really going to be able to apply all the data that you're taking in is to also talk to them and see what their focus is. So in that having those insights allow us to go back to our player development department, our analyst department, and we think that there's some area that they can improve upon, you know, that really speaks out to us metrically. We're able to take that information and then ultimately it adds conviction before we make that selection on draft day. It's funny. We just had a, a meeting yesterday, actually, where we were talking with um, some analysts and we were all on the same page of there is no magic bullet. There is no secret formula. All the teams have a good amount of information now that they do a good job of synthesizing it. But that's our job to combine that energy and have our take on it and have the best take on it and make the best decision. I think everybody who's followed the Nationals knows the success they've had. And particularly, you go back a little ways, the success they've had with big time first round draft picks. But I think fans here also know that over the last stretch of time, they have not had as much success. Some of that was drafting later in the first round and that they haven't had as much success finding those diamonds in the rough, second, third, fourth round and beyond. For you guys, what is the difference between scouting and finding that star player that you're going to get early in the draft versus also finding those just quality big leaguers that come later on that are sort of the lifeblood of a big league operation over the course of years? Boils down to great communication and relentless, relentlessly seeking the answers. Cedric Mullins, as an organization, we're very proud of that process. We had an area guy in Rich Morales 
who is passionate about the person and the ability. And in our draft room, we were just looking at positional strengths on a board. And and my brother, actually, Matt Haas, spoke up and said, oh, Mullins is up there. We still like him as we have. We drafted him twice, I believe. But he got to looking at his month-to-month performances. And he had hand injuries early in the spring where he didn't hit very much in the first half of the season. As he got healthier, he hit far better. Along with Rich's passion, that was his pointing it out in the room was the key to that selection for us. And I think you can have numbers or numbers, but you have to have the context as to what's going on here. Why did he not hit early in the spring? Why is he hitting now? Okay, he's more like we were hoping, thought he would be. That's the difference between getting a good player and not getting him. Not too much to add there. I think he covered that extremely well. The one thing I will say is, yes, a lot of it goes into the evaluation process. Obviously, the scouting reports, the work that our scouts do on the ground the analytic component, the performance data, the bad ball metrics. But as he mentioned, typically, at least in my experience, we have had those late round successes. It's been the area scout that has really pushed for the player and said, this guy's makeup is second to none. I would love to get him in the organization. I think he's going to wheel his way to the big leagues. And more often than not, when you hear an area scout that is convicted in a player like that at that stage of the draft, you have to go with his conviction at that point in time, especially if all those other boxes are checked and you feel good about it on that front. Question for both of you guys. The industry of baseball, of course, is so smart now, you know, smarter probably than ever before. But there still seemingly is that frontier that has not been truly conquered. And maybe it can't be conquered, but pitcher health and trying to be better at projecting pitcher injuries, preventing pitcher injuries. Can the industry get significantly better in that regard? Or is it just impossible to ever be great in that regard? Because you're talking about human bodies and each one is different and you're doing this unnatural thing of trying to throw a baseball a million miles per hour. Where are you guys on that when it comes to preventing and projecting pitcher injuries? Also a topic we touched on yesterday in our meeting, maybe the most difficult thing in our jobs, because there's only so much control you have over information in terms of usage, their preparation, their nutrition, their recovery. We can do mechanical analysis, but that's another thing where the more information you have, the better decision you're going to make. And just where do you prioritize allocating your resources? We're always getting better at that as an industry, for sure. The grind of the uh, the attrition of pitching in baseball, it's something we're constantly battling. Having our, our scouts history with these guys, especially if they've had them in their area the entire time, you know, as far as their workload management is a big thing, you know, Major League Baseball and USA Baseball has done a tremendous job in implementing Pitch Smart, a guideline for young pitchers as far as, you know, how many innings they should be throwing, what they should be doing before and after starts. And, you know, the combine is a huge, uh, huge help on that front. You know, now we have the opportunity to have these guys come in and process medically before the draft. So I think all those factors will help, obviously, a little bit, but bottom line, it is very difficult to predict when guys are going to potentially be hurt. But that's why having the history, asking the right questions when you do have guys in front of you as far as what their arm care routine looks like, and also on the medical side, if, if they are you know, going to go through the medical process, that helps not only the Nationals, but every other club that's going through this process as well. No two players are the same. And when you're in that draft room and you got to decide who we're taking, you're, you're taking who you just believe is the best player at that moment for you. But if you had to have an overarching sort of philosophy of what type of position player, what type of pitcher you guys prefer, if, if there are certain attributes you look for, what would you say those are? And maybe they're different for the two of you. Definitely. Is that longer I've done this, you definitely want to try to form an opinion on, on what you think a player or pitcher is going to be. But it, it's become more of a good bet to how they compare to their peers. I think so you're searching for tiebreakers. Uh, you're balancing upside, probability, value. 
it's just a constant process. We like to target starting pitchers, not the middle players. And then we don't hunt the weaknesses of our system necessarily or perceived weaknesses of our system, but we, we are aware of our strengths of our system. And it's just a, yeah, a constant process. In terms of as far as what we're looking for, you know, um, obviously you kind of mentioned a lot of key attributes there, but uh, I think athletes obviously can play up the middle. You know, versatility is also a big thing. Uh, it's becoming more common as far as guys being able to play in multiple positions because they're gifts of athletes. But also the fact that, you know, for me personally, you're always kind of taking a look at the body of work, the history leading up to that draft year. And you're more or less looking to see who takes a leap, so to speak. And, you know, I, I think the guys that go ahead and show that they're going to put the work in during the offseason and improve on their own volition really speaks volumes of their own work ethic. And you feel really good about getting that, those guys into, you know, the player development system and having them kind of hone and improve their overall skill set. But, you know, again, kind of piggybacking what Danny had to say, that's probably the best thing that comes to mind as far as answering that question. Mike Rizzo has a saying that he says when it comes to paying a player and use this or some version of this many times over the years, and that is you're not just paying the player, you're paying the person. And the idea is you're trying to figure out who this person is as a guy. With what you guys are doing, right? And you know, you're studying kids in their teens, early 20s, again, college, high school guys. How do you go about trying to figure out what kind of a person a player is? You know, is he diligent? Does he love baseball? Is he immature? Is he a good guy? Those kinds of things. How do you go about trying to assess a player in that way? I think we view the players, the prospects in different venues, showcases, regular season games, practice if we can. And then maybe one, maybe the one positive thing from COVID time was Zoom calls. Um, and we're a few years deep now where we've gotten better at that, at giving you know interviews and, and trying to get a feel for, and, the, and the, the players are more familiar with it now too. That's been a big help. And it's not like perfect. And it's, it's an ongoing situation. It's an initial blush kind of thing. And kind of try to figure out how a guy's you know, ticks, makes him tick. Good makeup is a vital part of a good decision and getting good prospect. Not much to add there. I think the Zoom component, the interview settings, not only Zoom calls prior to the start of the season, but at the combine, getting those guys down in front of us and just picking their brain. And you can tell who's authentic and genuine and who's really passionate about, you know, getting into pro ball and working hard right out of the gate. But, you know, we're looking for all those things that, that Riz and Davey, you know, are looking for in terms of guys on their major league roster, whether that's, you know, having a high degree of accountability for not only for themselves, for their teammates, but also a competitive edge and, you know, despise losing. So we're looking for all those key attributes and, Sometimes you really have to dig deep and ask the right questions, but the interview process is instrumental and critically important leading up to the draft on that front. Listening to you two talk about this and, and thinking myself about what your job is, it's kind of unusual when you think about this. Your biggest moment, your biggest day of the year is draft day, and there's all this hype and excitement that leads up to that point and then probably relief when you get done with it. But then it's years later before you know if you were successful or not at it. Does it take a certain mentality to do this? And is patience the right word? Or like you're already moving on to the next year's draft before you even know if the previous year's was successful. Within your own mindset, how do you cope with that? We're still working on that. <laughs> We're uh, constant support groups with each other. But uh, it's funny because you mentioned that like now, even closer to the draft, we're watching Team USA for next year while we're still preparing for the ongoing year. You have to remind yourself constantly it, it takes time. Players emerge we, we've had some guys like christian walker with the orioles it took him a long time to emerge it just it was his path for instance like that process i mean we liked him 
a good amount. We thought he could hit. We thought we knew he had power. He had a handmade situation that he didn't show the power in the time of college, but he actually beat Bryce Harper in the home run derby in high school. And we liked him a lot. We had our concerns. I remember Dan Duquette at a key point in our discussion saying, like, is this guy, what do you think he is? Is he a, is he a cleanup hitter? And I said, I'm, I'm not sure. I think he's, he said, well, he's a five-hole hitter. I said, I, I'm pretty confident he could be that one day. And he said, well, that's worth, you know, maybe $50 million one day. Who knows? But that was a key question at a key time. And it was uh, from my context, again, using that word a lot, but that I hadn't processed yet. And it, it was really freeing in the decision-making to help us pull a trigger on him. Yeah, I think the one thing that I kind of hang my hat on is, you know, the process. And I know that's going to be a buzzword that's thrown around and maybe it's a little bit cliche, but at the end of the day, if you're confident in your process and you feel like you've done extensive work on each and every guy, ultimately it's going to be up, up to them, you know, as far as how quickly they get to the big leagues or if they get to the big leagues and how well they deal with adversity and failure. So, you know, there are times obviously where patience is a requirement when guys, you know, go up each level, they might struggle a little bit and that's okay. But I try not to, you know, look as far as, you know, box scores night in, night out and try not to get uh, too down in the dumps if a guy goes over four with, with three strikeouts. It is a process, and each guy is going to ascend through the ranks uh, at, at their own pace. So that's kind of how the way I look at it and how I've processed it. And, you know, um, as I mentioned, the, the three of us have been very fortunate as far as uh, the draft picks that we've had, you know, the last few years. But, um, you know, we've also been extremely, you know, lucky in some regards as well, but we've also put ourselves in that spot to be lucky. And, you know, so far it's worked out. So that's kind of my mentality on that front. And that's uh, the best way I can describe it. Doing well in the MLB draft has always been important, but it feels like now maybe more than ever, it's important that it's more important than ever before. When you think about how every team now is smart, you know, every team now is in on analytics to an extent and teams now seemingly put more stock in having good prospects than those teams did previously. And, you know, now with PED testing, you have more natural aging curves. And so there's a reluctance maybe to dip into free agency. Whereas, you know, 15, 20 years ago, maybe you could count on a guy being good well into his thirties. I'm just curious, do you guys view it that way that now more than ever before, it really is vital that a team be good at the MLB draft? When we talked about several times, I think I did the winter meetings, getting depth in the draft has become way more difficult. You're looking at that board now after your top 100 names in, in our first years together. I mean, we would get 10, up to 15 guys out of our top 100. Now it's like two, three, maybe maybe four because everyone's got the you know, same information and they're better at their decision-making processes. So it, it is, it's very much, it, it's the, a market where you can get, you know, controllable, cheaper talent. So that's going to be intriguing and important to every organization. Extremely critical. You know, I, I think the one thing that we are set out to do here, obviously, is there's already a nucleus, a homegrown nucleus, as far as, you know, some guys at the major league level now and others at double A, and we want to keep that going. We want to continue to infuse the talent. So extremely important. And as you mentioned, as far as, you know, cost controlled homegrown talent, it does give, you know, the major league team play a shot in the arm when they have internal options versus going out and, and spending money in the free agent market. The two of you are going to be in charge of running the draft here, but the guy you report to ran a lot of draft rooms for a long time and had a pretty good track record of doing that in Mike Rizzo. What's the process been like of starting to work for him? And what do you think those last couple of days leading up to the draft are going to be like with him? Because we know he has some pretty strong opinions at times. How do you go about both taking what he wants to say, but also knowing this is your draft and you have to run the room the way you want to run it. Kind of how I expect it to be. 
And the, the, there's a commonality with Dan and Theo and Hayes with Mike already, already is they ask great questions. They're further sharpening the work you've done and hopefully bringing up things you haven't even thought of yet. That's going to be a positive. And it's, it's been a consistent thing with all those guys. And I expect it to be with Mike as well. He's already brought some things to, to the table with us in our process. This is kind of an off the wall question, but I'm curious about your guys' opinions on this. Do you think that teams should be able to trade draft picks? Like in the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, you can trade picks. Like the Nats had the number two overall pick. They couldn't trade down and get a bunch more picks. From our perspective, I think it would be fascinating. I think it would be so much more interesting. From your perspectives, maybe it would create a whole lot more work and chaos. But I'm just curious. I mean, this is your livelihood, right? The MLB draft. Do you think that teams should be allowed to trade picks? I don't necessarily get that question from many people, but I get that opinion a lot. I think a lot of the fans are very interested in that scenario. I'm very fond of the movie Draft Day. Wish it come together that quickly and easy in real life on our end. But it's definitely that the fans are, are very interested in that sort of scenario. I personally like the way things are right now. I think there's enough going on in draft day. And clearly, you know, that would add a bunch of other variables. <laughs> Obviously, if, you know, that's the direction that the league wants to go, you know, that's the direction that will go. But uh, yeah, I, I think there's plenty of uh, things to worry about on draft day. And that would just add additional thoughts and concerns moving forward on my front anyway. <laughs> I'm guessing you're also both not necessarily fans of the draft lottery because without that, you guys would have much better pick going into this next year than the way it worked out because of the system that prevented you from getting a top 10 pick. Yeah, I'll plead the fifth on that one. (laughs) I mean, it is what it is. Um, I can understand, you know, the league's uh, perspective on that, but, you know, I'll just plead the fifth. I do think it is good as far as, you know, getting the fans involved, especially at that time of the year and uh, looking forward to the draft, you know, a few months later. All right, Danny Haas, Brad Sealek, we appreciate your time very much. We're very excited to have you guys with the Nats, and uh, we wish you nothing but the best. All right, our thanks to Danny Haas and Brad Sealek for joining us here on the Nats Chat Podcast. Great to have them on. Great to get their perspectives and insights on everything going on with the Nats uh, right now. And like we talked about, how a team does the draft, so important. It is so key that the Nats get back to being really good when it comes to the draft. And of course, when it comes to developing those who are drafted, we will be back with you for the next installment of the podcast in February. Spring training is coming. You know, this offseason is moving, even though it doesn't necessarily feel like the Nats are having an offseason. But like we talked about earlier, some moves may be happening here. Mark, as you uh, think about what you're going to be writing for MassInSports.com and what's ahead, what's kind of in your mind for what could be coming here with the Nats uh, in the coming weeks as we do get closer and closer to pitchers and catchers reporting? Yeah, like I said earlier, there's going to come a point here where I think they do have to make a move for, I believe it will be a left-handed bat. I'm not expecting that to be a huge name, but maybe it's somebody that can provide some pop to the lineup, somebody that has a little bit of name recognition. I've always going to be interested in, you know, we know last year the approach was sign some guys to one-year deals, maybe some bounce back candidates, try to get what you can out of them, and then potentially move them at the trade deadline. Is that the approach here again? Or would they actually think a little more long-term? Would they give somebody multiple years? Mike Rizzo told us the winter meetings that they are open to those kind of deals. Now, we have to see if the right fits there, the player wants to come here and all that. But I think there's a case to be made for something like that. But I'm looking for at least one bat, if not two, maybe another starting pitcher. And then it's really about, okay, 
let's get to spring training and let's see what they have. It's going to be a fascinating year in a lot of ways. I think it's an important year for them to show that they have now taken another step up. And really the biggest story of spring training to me is going to be the arrival of the big name prospects who are there for the first time in big league camp and eventually seeing them in the big leagues this year. I think it's a fascinating year coming up, even if the offseason has not been fascinating. That's what this season is about more than anything. How the big-time prospects do when the big-time prospects arrive. And that's what the focus is going to be for so much of this coming season. I mean, heck, with this Nats offseason, we don't even have arbitration drama. The Nats have taken care of all of their arbitration-eligible players. Uh, The four guys who were left were all decided on Thursday, which was the deadline day. Lane Thomas, Luis Garcia, Kyle Finnegan, and Hunter Harvey. Some confusion with when the deadline was. All sorts of people in the media, I saw them uh, tweeting about this and writing about this, The thought had been that the deadline was Friday. It ended up being on Thursday. Did MLB change it or or was the deadline just like cloaked in secrecy? No, I think MLB changed a lot, actually. It was listed on every calendar that I had seen as Friday, the 12th. And that's the way it's been for a long time. It's always been on a Friday and it's the end of the day. And all of a sudden, two days before, I think people started to realize, oh, hang on a second, it's actually Thursday. And then on top of that, they had this bizarre double deadline within the day. One o'clock was the deadline to sign a player, but then eight o'clock was the deadline to exchange the arbitration figures. And I think what that had to do with is, thinking back to previous years, you had this deadline on a Friday afternoon at like five o'clock and there was this rush of signings and it would take literally hours for the league to process them all. And the news wouldn't get out until hours later. And I think this was maybe an attempt to set that deadline earlier in the day get all those done, and then focus on the guys who didn't get deals done and give them time to work out their arbitration requests. Good news from the Nash standpoint, it's all done. They signed all four guys. None of the salaries surprised me a lot. I thought Lane Thomas got a little bit less than I think I expected. He's at 5.45 million. There was some talk he'd get as much as 7 million, but I think they're all you know pretty fair deals. And if you want to look bigger picture at the Nats payroll now, which is coming a little bit more into focus. They've got 13 players now signed and with salaries set for the coming year. You add those all up, you get 98.1 million. Now, the caveat to that is that that includes all the deferrals to Steven Strasburg and Patrick Corbin. It includes Steven Strasburg as well. You take those out of it and it's down to 76.7 million. Even if you fill out the rest of the roster with the young guys who make, you know, the big league minimum, you're still looking at an opening day payroll pre-deferrals of 108 million, post-deferrals, 87.2 million. That's a low number. Now, there are legitimate baseball reasons for why that's the case right now. But to me, what it does say is they have some money to spend. They can go above where they were last year. They should be able to go above where they were last year. It's just a question of, do they think the time is right? And are the players right to go do that? And something else to be thinking about as uh, this offseason goes on Do we get a resolution to this Strasburg situation or do we continue to dance the dance that is he's retiring, but nobody wants to say that he's retiring. He's still on the books with a contract. So we shall see. Well, you tell us what you think. Hit us up on X at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show as well. Nats chat podcast at gmail.com. You could also find us on our website, Nats chat podcast.com. We'll be back with you with the show in February. We thank you very much for listening. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we will talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast.
Ray ready. He'll let it go. Swing, it's popped in the air into shallow left. Abrams out, Alou coming in. Abrams will make the grab in shallow left field to end the inning. So Josiah Gray finishes off six innings, gives up just one run, and potentially that'll be the end of his season with a very good start here in Baltimore. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.